I'm going to invite you to go with me right to the Word of God, if we could. Thinking, I know you can see them, but I can't see them. <laughs> there they are. I found those glasses. Goodness. <laughs> well, our great, our great privilege and joy today is to come uh, to the word of the Lord. I think in your notes uh, I printed for you, um, so many scriptures pointed to this day. Uh, I, I love it that, that God's word is one story, right? And, and, and everything in the early portions of it point forward to Jesus and everything in the later portions of it point back to what he did. But this day, Palm Sunday, was the day he came into Jerusalem, was the day he came into uh, the temple, was the day that, that, that our precious and perfect Lamb of God was set apart for our sin. So let me share with you just a little bit uh, from God's Word. We're going to start, if we can, in, um, in the book of Ezekiel. In the book of Ezekiel, I'll reference several scriptures during our time in God's Word today. But in Ezekiel, we see um, one of the many prophecies about what Jesus would do. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 27. Ezekiel 36. 22 to 27. Therefore, the Lord says, Say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It was not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. Have you got the point so far, right? And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. 1948, right? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you instead a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. The very word of God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now turn with me, if you would, to uh, our passage for today. I'm going to read it from... um, our Gospel of John that we've been studying in, though it appears in all four of the Gospels. We're going to be in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. 
while you're getting your phones there or turning in your Bibles to John chapter 2, I'll just note uh, John, who wrote about 40 or 50 years later than the other uh, three gospel writers, uh, put this account that we're reading from today uh, at the beginning of his gospel, uh, right after the uh, changing of water into wine. And now we've said before that John had a very particular purpose. He wanted to, to pluck out seven miracles, seven signs, as it were, to help us in such a brief 20, 21 chapters to be able to, to uh, understand who Jesus is. Now I say that because people will, will uh, come to you and they say, well, I can prove to you that the Bible isn't true, is not trustworthy, right? Because three of the Gospels have this uh, cleansing of the temple passage uh, in, in the end of Jesus' ministry. And, and John has it at the beginning. Which was it? Which was it? And we've talked before. Um, I'm not going to try and solve that problem for you. It's easily solvable. But um, uh, I, just, I just want um, to invite you uh, to be ever so humble when you encounter people like that. Spiritual things are discerned spiritually, right? And if someone does not have the Holy Spirit, they're not going to be able to trust God's Word no matter how much you argue, argue with them. Very possible John arranged it this way if indeed there was one account, that one time that Jesus did this. But we've said before, he did not give the Sermon on the Mount one time, right? He probably gave it 30 times because they did not have mass media. They didn't have printing presses. They didn't have Google. They didn't have all these tools that we have. He probably taught the same things many times. It's very possible also that he entered the temple in Jerusalem twice. One at the beginning of his ministry as a sign of what was to come and one at the end of his ministry as the fulfillment of that sign. I just really want to encourage you. Look for the truths of God in his scriptures. Don't, you don't have to argue anybody into understanding. Pray. Pray that God would open your eyes. Pray that God would open their eyes to his precious word. So we could have picked from any of the four versions of it, but we're going to take it from uh, uh, John's and John chapter 2 today instead. Begin with me in verse 13, if you would. The Passover of the Jews was at hand. We're right at that season of Passover right now here. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He had been down in Capernaum, it tells us, last time in John, that he's with his family. Uh, and now every male was required to make their way to Jerusalem. And so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now we know from Luke and Mark all the story of how he entered that. We know from Luke how he wept. We know uh, from all those other gospel witnesses about the myriad things that happened along the way. But John takes us right to the temple. In verse 14, in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, all animals that were uh, to be sacrificed, and, and the money changers were sitting there. We'll explain that in just a moment. And making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep 
and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Actual Greek word there is emporium, emporium. I always picture, when I picture emporiums, all these little trinkets, all these little accoutrements, right? All these other things. Do not make my father's house an emporium. And his disciples, look at this, remember. They didn't understand it then. But they remembered later that it was written, Zeal, for your house will consume me. A direct quote from Psalm 69, verse 9. Zeal. For the house of God will consume the Messiah, will consume Jesus. Now, he just made a mess of the outer courts of the temple where they had set up shop. And the Jews came and said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? It's a little bit ironic because he just did this huge sign, right? He cleared the temple, Um but they, they ask him now for a sign. What sign do you show us? In other words, what gives you the authority to, to cast all these money changers, these animals out? Look at this. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Wow. Wow. Now we're all immediately knowing what he's thinking about, right? Can you imagine where they were? What? What? Right? The Jew says, this has taken 46 years to build this temple. By the way, it took a lot longer than that. It took, um, what was that? It took 84 years to complete the temple. The temple that Jesus is standing in right here in this, in this story was not yet complete. Uh, it, would be, it would be another 20 years before it was complete. And then six years after it was complete, after it was completed, it would be completely, some of you have seen this, completely destroyed. Down to the foundations, right? Down to the foundations. Oh my goodness. It's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it in three days? But Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, here it is again, the disciples remembered. Isn't that, isn't that something? How many times does God plant something in our hearts and minds? We don't understand it at the moment, right? But, but if we'll receive it from him, he plants it in our hearts. And then later on, later on, when, when other events start to fall into line, we understand what he meant. I, my heart just breaks for those who right now are in a place where you don't understand what God is doing. That's okay. Hold on, sister. Hold on, brother, right? Um, hide this truth in your heart, and later on you will understand. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So all these scriptures which are listed for you right there at the top of your page, all these scriptures which spoke about these moments, and Jesus' own words came together. They came together. And they believed 
the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now when he was at Jerusalem, in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw, there's that word, the signs he was doing. But Jesus on his part, now the scripture says, did not entrust himself to them. It's the same word that he just used earlier, believe. Jesus, they believed in Jesus, but Jesus didn't believe in them. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Because he knew people. He knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man. For he himself knew what was in man. Oh my goodness. The very word of God. Jesus, thank you that you know what is in us. You know those moments of joy, God, as, as our minds and our souls and our bodies all come together in understanding and worship. God, you know, you know that ecstasy that, that comes. But you know also, God, the, the darkness and the emptiness. God, I believe you take us to those places sometimes where we cannot understand what you're doing, where we cannot see your face, where we cannot uh, understand your word. God, you take us to those places so that we will learn to trust in you. God, as we open your word today, we just trust in you that you are going to speak, that you are going to cleanse this temple, that you are going to be glorified. We love you. God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'd like to take you into this passage. I, I'm, as always, um, uh, a little, a little um, frustrated because there's so much... And so my great prayer is that, is that the Holy Spirit will just um, prick is the only word I can come up with right now, prick you and your mind, tease you into going deeper in God's word that you might feast this Lord's Day, that you might feast this Holy Week, not only on the spiritual bread that is ours through Jesus Christ, but, but on his word. His word as well. But I want to focus especially, if I can today, on um, that prophecy in Psalm 69. Uh, uh, a thousand years before Palm Sunday, David had, was in a, in a desperate place and, and, and he cried out to God on, on paper. He cried out in Psalm 69. And the astounding thing about um, what he wrote down was that a thousand years later a son of David, let me say it differently, the son of David would experience many of those exact same things. It's like, it's like a, 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 a primer on the messianic king, right? And, and one of those descriptions, this is a small little phrase, said zeal Zeal for the Father's house. Zeal for your house, David wrote, has eaten me up. He actually uses that word. It eats me up. It, I cannot get rest. It consumes 
me. And this, this word that translates here as zeal, do you know that word? What do you think of when you think of zeal? Enthusiasm? Um, right? Um, um, passion? Huh? See how we're kind of moving that direction? Yeah. It's, it, 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 it's, this, it's this ardent desire, right, for something to be true. The word that's translated zeal in this verse is the word, here it comes, Cana. Isn't that interesting? Cana. Remember where the miracle just happened in John chapter 2? Where was, where was the water changed into wine? Cana, right? Where was the nobleman's son, Chad preached on, healed? Cana. All these things happened in the town called Zeal, right? Um, the whole Galilee province was known for its zeal for the Lord, but, but, but zeal isn't always a, a positive thing, right? Zeal can be a positive quality. It, can, it could mean passionate concern for others. It could mean striving for the good. It can mean desiring righteousness. Oh, that's good stuff, right? Oh, God, give us this zeal, right? But it also can have a negative quality, right? Petty, jealousy, envy, pride, malice, malice, all these kinds of things. In fact, there were, there were zealots. See the connection of that word? There were zealots in Jesus' day. And I'm going to suggest to you that there weren't just one kind of zealot. There were four kinds of zealots in Jesus' name. They were just all zealous, the Greek word for Cana or zeal. They were zealous for something different. Let me say, let's look first to the Sadducees. The Sadducees. I think that will show up on your thing. You can see how to spell that. The Sadducees literally were the ones called the righteous ones. After the Maccabean revolt, they were the ones put in um, power and control. They controlled the temple. They controlled the worship of God. And, and, and so what happened over time was that these people became intermixed with the culture. We call that Hellenized. They became more and more Greek and less and less Jewish. And, and by Jesus' day, they were basically partners hand in hand with the Romans, right? And they were still in control of the temple. So the Sadducees were, were zealous. They were, they were focused on political position, and they were zealous for prestige and power, right? I know it's an oversimplification, but just to have a starting category in your mind. They were uh, zealous for prestige and power. Now, they were contrasted, and you see this all through the New Testament, by another group. I'm going to call them zealots. They were Pharisees, right? These were the Torah scholars who sought to teach the common people how to live the Jewish life. And the, and the Pharisees regarded themselves as heirs now not of, uh, of the written tradition alone, but also of the oral tradition. It's very complicated, but when Moses called up the 70 elders with him to uh, the foot of Mount Sinai, the, the uh, Pharisees believed that they began a tradition there. There is Anhai. A tradition there that that uh, included not just the Torah, not just the scriptures of Moses and the Psalms and, 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 and the prophets, which the Sadducees did not receive, um, but also this oral tradition. That's why you get these don't look at a mirror on the Lord's day. That was oral tradition. It was not law. It was oral tradition. But the uh, Pharisees were the keepers of that 
oral tradition, and they focus especially on interpretation, right? What do we do in a given circumstance? How do we interpret the law of Moses and the oral tradition for this? And they were zealous. They were zealous for law and order. And you can see that in the scriptures. You can see um, Jesus spent a lot of time, most of his interaction was with Pharisees when he was interacting with religious leaders. But there are a couple more categories. There was the Essenes. Have you heard that word before? Essenes? Qumran? Have you heard that word? That was a place. The Essenes were, were the people who were more interested in, not in talking about it, but in doing Torah, right? And doing it right. They were the ascetics, the monastic movement of Jesus' day. They repudiated everything that the Sadducees represented and moved away. They left Jerusalem. They left the temple that the Sadducees had control of and went to the Judean desert near the, the Dead Sea to wait for the coming of the Lord, right? To wait for the apocalypse. Not the zombie apocalypse. Apocalypse means the revelation, right? The revelation of the Messiah. And so they, they were very zealous for, um, for the Lord, but they focused on separation. And, and the zeal revealed itself in a zeal for purity. For purity. Now, by the way, they just had these ritual baths throughout Qumran. And before they did anything, they did this, this ritual dip in the, in the mikvah to, to cleanse themselves of any possibility of, pure, of impurity. Now, lastly, I just want to mention the ones who we know of as zealots. And, but when we think of them, um, we think of this group, the political agitators who sought to incite the Jews to rebel against the Roman rule by force. They refused to pay their taxes. They refused to pay tribute to Caesar on the grounds that he was not their king. By the way, there's a movement uh, of that in our culture right now. Uh, uh, I, I can't remember the exact name of it, but it has, the word sovereign is in a sovereign citizen movement, right? So I'm not really accountable to the government. I'm, I'm free from that. Um, those people would, would understand the zealots. Uh, and the zealots' goal, they focused on the over throw of Rome. What they were zealous for, again, forgive me for the, for the generalizations, they were zealous for independence, right? So there's, there's all kinds of zeal out there. Some of it's good, and I would, I would hazard to say that, that in each of these groups there was good. There was a good, good zeal, right? But, but there's also bad things that can come out of human zeal, and, 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 and we've all experienced that. Maybe you have experienced that. Why are so many people um, church hurt, right? Why are so many people church hurt? Because somewhere along the line, they ran into an overly zealous person who did not understand what we said earlier, that the Holy Spirit has to reveal truth to people, right? And, and might have dumped the truck on somebody in one area or another, right? Um, and so, so that that these same categories of people are present right now. Our goal is not to try and understand and pick and choose the good things from each of these kinds of things. Um, the scripture doesn't say that the zeal of humans is going to accomplish anything. What scripture does say in the beautiful passage in Isaiah from our Christmas time, right? He shall be called. Wonderful counselor, right? 
uh, everlasting Father, the, the Prince of Peace, right? And then it says the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this, right? What is this zeal of the Lord? The zeal of the Lord is, is the passion and eagerness of God to help those who would trust in Him. Let me say it again. The zeal of the Lord is His passion and eagerness to help those who would trust in Him. Do you understand why Jesus got so ticked off that they were, that they were selling animals? I, I, I don't have time to go into this, but just picture the scene for a second, right? All these smelly animals in the court of the Gentiles, all these people... Um, changing money they would not receive greek or roman coins therefore they had to change it at a profit right and and you had to get hebrew coins and said that was the only kind of coin that was acceptable there you, the potential for abuse was just huge it was just huge how about how about you uh, and the shepherd um, um little shepherd movie at christmas time helped us see this so much this guy this guy shepherds this little lamb all the way to Jerusalem, right from Bethlehem, and on the way the lamb gets injured. Now all of a sudden the lamb's not perfect anymore. Now that lamb's unacceptable, but you can buy this lamb for four times as much as the value of that lamb, um, right? You see the potential for disaster. Oh my goodness! And, and, and Jesus, I don't know where the cords came from. Maybe from the cords that were holding the animals in place. But he makes, he fashions a little whip. Let me say that differently. He fashions a scourge. Isn't that interesting? And drives away the money changers, drives away the, the, the sellers of animals, drives away those people. Why is he... So my wife and I were having kind of a, a spirited discussion on whether Jesus was angry right here or not. It doesn't use the word anger. It just says that he drove them out, right? I just don't have a frame of reference for that apart from anger, right? But but doesn't say that he was angry. Um, uh, but I found comfort in this truth. Even if he was, it was a righteous anger, right? I don't think I've ever had a righteous anger in my life. Just being real, right? So, um, so I'm so grateful for what Jesus did. Uh, the, the word the scripture uses is not anger, it's zeal. Zeal for his father's house consumed him. Why? Because who was it, who was it that worshipped in those outer courts? This is a test. Yes, somebody said it. The Gentiles did, right? The men could go all the way into the inner uh, the place of holiness, right? The women had their own court outside of that where they could go and, and be near the presence of God. But the Gentiles, all the Gentiles had was this outer court, right? And what was parked in those outer courts? Animals, money changers, right? Um, uh, 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 an emporium of spiritual stuff. Of spiritual stuff. I cannot go there, but... But um, we've we got to be very careful that we don't get lost in spiritual stuff, right? And, and, and miss the whole point of it. We need Jesus and nothing else, right? Uh, 
nothing else. Uh, we don't need certain kinds of accoutrements to make it work. We have really nice stuff. You'll see nice brass communion. We don't need that, right? We just need Jesus, right? We just need Jesus. The zeal of the Lord was his passion and eagerness to help those who trust in him. And he was zealous for his father's house because that's where all the nations came in one, in one gospel to pray, another gospel to worship. But to his own people, his own people had made it into a, 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 a market, an emporium, a marketplace, right? So I want to stop for just a second and say, just as we, we're keeping these four groups of people in mind, let's keep in mind, if we can, here the um, four temples, four temples to keep in mind as well. First of all is the temple that was the building. It was not the first temple. This was not Solomon's temple. By the way, Solomon, and I'm going to misquote it, I think it's in 1 Kings 4, but, but don't hold me to that. Well, that doesn't sound right. Um, uh, Solomon said, what building, even as he was dedicating that first glorious temple, what building could possibly contain you, God, right? Uh, uh, and yet, and yet we keep building buildings, right? We keep looking for buildings to be our connection with God. Um, Jesus himself, speaking to his disciples, spoke to them. He said, you see these buildings? You see all these stones, do you not? I say to you that there will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that prophecy was fulfilled in AD 70 when the Romans obliterated that building. It has not been rebuilt to this day. That's really important. Does it need to be rebuilt? There are people are looking for it. People are looking for it to be rebuilt. And I, I remember early in my ministry, I said to people, you know, if you see here of the temple being built in Jerusalem, pack your bags, right? Um, but does it really need to be built? No. No, it does not. Why? Because there's another building, which was Jesus' physical body. You guys already have these whole things filled out, don't you? Because it's so obvious. His physical body. The Jews said to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them in a riddle, Masha'al, is that right? Uh, a, a, a Jewish riddle, <laughs> destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up, right? By the way, I will raise it up. Uh, he's identifying with God who raised him up, right? I will raise it up. Um, clearly, they didn't get it. Even the disciples did not get Come on, Jesus. It, at this point, you can see exactly where in the chronology they were. They were um, at A.D. 25, uh, right here, right? Because um, it's been 46 years since they began building the temple. Of course, they knew exactly when that temple was started. Jesus said, destroy this thing that took 46 years to build, and in three days I will raise it up. But look at the last line. He was speaking about the temple of his body, right? No longer does God need a building, and, and that building was never rebuilt, right? No longer does God need a building because Christ has come, and the Holy Spirit indwelled Christ. The Holy Jesus was the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now follow me. I'm going to move a little quicker. Um, the temple of Jesus' physical body is important, but then we know also that the temple of Jesus' spiritual body is also important. Who is Jesus' spiritual body? Who is it? It's us. It's us, the church, right? It's us. Um, how did Peter uh, put it in First Peter 2? 
As you come to Jesus, the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, we are the temple of God. I love buildings. I'm so grateful for this one. But it's not the building. It's the people. Now, does that diminish Jesus Christ? No, not at all. He's just, he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father praying for the temple of God, praying for the people of God, praying for the church of God that we would be a worthy vessel of the Holy Spirit. Oh, God, cleanse this temple. Cleanse us as your church, God, so that that no one would see us, so that that every time a a Gentile or a non-believer looks to us, they would see Jesus, not us, that they wouldn't say what a powerful group of people that are no they would say what a powerful god they serve oh make it true god we ask in jesus name i don't want to go one step further with you if i could not only uh is there a building called the temple and was jesus body the temple and now his spiritual body the church the temple of the holy spirit but each of us individually also are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, Glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Jesus sacrificed his physical body so that his spiritual body and our, I'm going to translate that larger, our body, soul, and spirit might all be made pure and acceptable to God. That's what happened on Holy Week, right? The temple of God which moved among us sacrificed himself so that all of us collectively and individually might be made a worthy vessel. Not because of our own good works, but because of what Jesus said. So that all of us might be a worthy vessel, pure and acceptable to God. Come on up, worship team, if you would. What what should we then do, right? Remember, I love this about the Essenes. They said, don't Don't just talk about it. Do something, right? That's what their name meant. Doers, right? What then should we do, right? Oh, there's myriad things that you will draw from God's Word as you go deep in His Word this coming week. But I just want to invite you on this Palm Sunday. I want to invite you on this, remember that lesson, Lamb Selection Day, right? I want to invite you to recognize the true King of glory. I want you to recognize the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Remember what John the Baptist, and by the way, it's been so long, but it was one chapter earlier in John chapter 1. John the Baptist said to, to Andrew, Behold the Lamb of God who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world, right? 
in, in our Passover service, I don't know if you remember, but, but we would send the children to look for leaven. Remember that? They would look for little crumbs. And during the whole week uh, of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, people would remove every ounce of, of leaven uh, from their houses. Why? Because leaven symbolized sin. Right? The problem was they couldn't do that. They did it symbolically, but they couldn't do it. They couldn't remove sin from their house. But we can. We can invite Jesus to come and cleanse this temple. We can invite Jesus to come and cleanse this temple. Right? We can invite him to be glorified in us, recognize the true king of glory and glorify God in our bodies. Certainly the body of Christ, the church, but also our individual bodies. Will we mess up again? Absolutely. Probably before you get to your car, right? But, but the beautiful thing about Christ's redemption is that it is sufficient for the moment and it's sufficient for the future. All you need to do is agree, oh, God, forgive me. I agree with you that that is not honoring to you. That does not glorify you. Where am I going with all this? I don't know that we need to be more zealous. Because zeal is so easily turned. It's so easily manipulated. What we need, I think, is to be more trusting in the zealous love of God for us. Jesus is zealous for us. So this week, I want to invite you to to, um, look with me to the cross where everything changed, right? Where our brokenness and pain, the things that we have done and the things that we have not done, the things that were done to us, where all those things could be healed where all those things could be atoned for I want to I want to invite you to cast yourself before the Lamb of God to say on Lamb Selection Day Jesus I choose you you and you alone are sufficient for my brokenness You and you alone are sufficient for my needs. So thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Thank you for your life, which points us to truth. Thank you. It's hard to say this on this side of it, God, but thank you for the cross that you bore our sins on. And... And God, thank you for those little crosses that you invite us to carry until that day when you come in glory again. Oh God, we cry out, be Lord of our lives. Jesus, take your place on the throne of our life until everything we say and do and think and are surrenders to you. And we worship you. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.